Well, we try to make you cry once a quarter. So, <laughs> did it work? Okay, great. Happy Mother's Day to all of you guys. We do really appreciate you, and you're such a special group of people, and we really, really love you and are grateful for you. I know that this is also a day that's hard for, for a lot of us as well, and so know that we're praying for you and coming alongside you as well. If this day may not be as filled with much joy as it is for some of the others, but nonetheless, we're grateful for each and every one of you who are here. Let's be honest uh, with ourselves as we continue in this series called Leverage. We have a lot of stuff, don't we? We are people with a lot of stuff. If you have a garage that actually has a car parked in it, you are in the rare minority. A, a group of people that actually use the garage for what is intended to have, a car that's parked in there. Or for those of you, there might be a few of you in the room, you're an anomaly if this is you, but you are not paying a monthly storage fee cost for something that you have not opened for years. And you have a, you're paying a monthly fee for something and you're just storing all this stuff, hoping that one day you're actually going to need it. Or how about this? Does this describe any of you? If so, please let me know how you made this happen. Are you the type of person like me that has cardboard boxes that have been unopened for your last four moves? And you're still saving it thinking at some point I am going to need that college textbook and I'm going to want to get it. Now, granted, I have Google and I can find any information this day, but, but I'm holding on to all of this stuff. We're people who like to accumulate stuff. But see, we're also not just people who have stuff. We are also people with a lot of resources. We forget this sometimes. In fact, researchers will say that the average American coffee drinker, and which I am above average on, spends on average $1,100 a year on coffee. Just $1,100 a year. And so I am totally, that's a low average for me. So I know that I have to be spending more than that. And yet we'll look at our financial situation. And if you're anything like me, you look at your financial situation and sometimes you think, you know, we have it, we have it pretty badly or, or we're not in a really good financial situation. And I'm not diminishing the fact that we go through seasons and I'm not diminishing the fact that there are people here in our community that are struggling and that are, that are, that are having a difficult time making ends meet. But from a global perspective, a big picture perspective, you and I, are really blessed people. In fact, if you have an average annual salary of $32,400 or above, according to the Global Rich List, you are in the top 1% of wealthiest people in the entire world. $32,400, which by our standards is not a, you know, that significant of an amount of money. There's over seven, well over 7 billion people in the world. I would venture to say that most of us in the room are in that top 1%. So what are we doing with what the Lord has given us? How are we leveraging what it is that he has blessed us with? If you've been a part of this series for the past couple of weeks, you will recall this definition of leverage. And we say that leverage is to use something for its maximum advantage, that we have time, that we have family, that we have skills, education, talent. We have a platform the Lord has given us. We have resources that we're going to talk about today and to leverage those things for the maximum benefit for what God would desire. In fact, what does God desire to do with what he's given us? Has God given us these blessings in our life just for our own personal benefit? Or is there something bigger that he desires to do? Over the next few minutes, we're going to seek to answer those questions. And we're going to seek to give you some skills and give you some insight and give you some wisdom from God's word that hopefully will cause us to walk out of this place a little bit different today. And trusting that the Lord wants to do something with what he has given us and to realize that he's the author of that. And so we're simply going to say, Lord, how do you desire for me to respond today and to leverage the things that you have blessed me with in my life? Know that I'm so thankful that each and every one of you are here with us today. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray with us as we continue in our time of worship. Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning of life. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for what you've lavished upon us. Lord, you've given us so much, and so this morning we seek and desire to be people who would take the things that you've given us and, and trust them back to you. 
I pray that this morning we would walk out of this room different as a result of encountering you through your word and that you would richly guide us and richly bless us as we seek to be faithful for you. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Now, our passage of scripture that we're going to study today comes out of the book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. If you want to go ahead and turn there, or if you have a mobile device, you can hop on there and follow along with us. Those words are also going to be up here for you on the screen. And your, your Bible may have subject headings like my Bible does. And the subject heading in your Bible may say the parable of the talents. The NIV, which I'm reading from and studying from today, refers to this as the parable of the bags of gold. And what a parable is, if that's new kind of vernacular for you, a parable is a story that Jesus would use to illustrate points. And these parables were really practical, real-life stories that Jesus would use because in Jesus' day, most of the people couldn't read. They didn't have access to resources like we did. And so he's giving them these very tangible, practical, real-life examples to help them understand these points that he's trying to reinforce. And the point today that he's trying to reinforce with his hearers is, how am I supposed to handle the resources that I have? What am I supposed to do with what he has entrusted me with? Now, when you see the word talent, and talent is how a lot of your versions will, will translate this, this, this phrase. When you see the word talent, we're not talking about America's Got Talent. We're not talking about song, dance. We're not talking about acrobats or magician kind of things. This is not that kind of talent. A talent is an actual measurement of resources. It's an actual measurement of Money And it's a weight of about 75 pounds of gold or silver. That's why the NIV translates it literally bags of gold, because we're talking about a, a kind of a sampling of resources here, if you will. And so this story is going to illustrate for us how we're supposed to use what the Lord has given us. So let's start in Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gardening where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this passage tells us that there's a man who was going on a journey, and he is entrusting his resources to three of his servants, three of his associates, if you will. He has eight bags of gold, and he gives five of them to guy number one, 
two of them to guy number two, and one of them to guy number three. He goes on the journey. He comes back, and this is what's happened. Guy number one has now taken the five bags of gold, and he's multiplied them so that there's now ten. Gentleman number two has taken the two, and he's done something with them so that now there's four. And then guy number three took his, and he buried it in the ground. So what is Jesus trying to teach us here through this parable? Is this a talk about retirement strategy? Is this what Jesus is? Is he trying to show us here how we're supposed to retire? This is not a retirement talk. I've actually heard people use this text as a talk on retirement. This is not what this is about. Okay, this is not Jesus saying invest in the stock market and you'll get 100% return or invest in real estate and you'll get 100% return. Don't you know, bury it under a mattress or you know, hide all your money under a mattress. That's not going to yield anything for you. That's not what he's talking about at all. Rather, what he's alluding to here is about the resources that he has entrusted you with. And in fact, one of the big ideas of today, if you like to fill in the blanks on your notes, the first blanks that you'll see there is that God has entrusted each of us with his resources according to our ability to powerfully use them for his purpose. Let me repeat that for you. God has entrusted each of us with his resources according to our ability to powerfully use them for his purposes. To one guy, he gives five bags of gold. To another guy, two bags. And to the third guy, one. God is the one who has entrusted his servants with the resources that they were given. They were given different amounts based on their ability to use them so, but if you don't get anything else from today, in fact, if you're just like, man, I don't even know why I'm here today, you know, I'd really rather be at lunch. Just, just keep in mind, this, this is the big idea. This is the thing that the Lord is trying to get us. If you get nothing else today, remember, God is the one who has entrusted his resources to you. Everything that you have has been given to you by God. And that's why we're reminded here that these three servants were entrusted gold from the master. They were also entrusted different amounts of gold. And it was based on the ability that they had to do something with it. It specifically says in verse 15 that one received five, one received two, and one received one because of their ability. Now, this is one of those interesting moments where our English language falls short because their Bible was written, the original, the New Testament was in Greek. And so when you go back and look at the Greek word, you see something really rich that's going on here. This word ability in verse 15 is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, 95% of the time, when it's translated into English or the verses that's used here, it means power. It doesn't always just mean financial ability, it means power. And so this is actually a game changer when you realize what Jesus is talking about here is power. He's not saying that I gave different amounts to different people based on their financial ability to make more money. That's how we kind of read it when we see the word ability. What he's actually saying is I'm giving different amounts to different people based on their ability to tap into the miraculous power of God. I'm giving different amounts based on the likelihood that you're actually in the capacity that in the ability that you're going to have to invite God's power into the equation. And so all of a sudden you see here that these men get different amounts and that one of them doesn't know what to do with it. And the other's invite God into the equation. And so when you look at your resources, you're telling me then, Pastor Jason, that everything that the Lord has given me is not for my personal benefit? That's exactly what I'm telling you. In fact, that's what Jesus is saying. That's not me. Jesus is saying that everything that you have has been entrusted to you by him. And it's at his discretion how much you get. And there's a formula that God is working out in his providence and his equation based on our capability to see power in it. 
and to realize that it's not about us, but that ultimately it's about what the Lord would desire to do. Now, if I'm a leader of a team and I get the privilege of handing out awards to the team, probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to give awards to the people who are actually taking their jobs seriously. When I see you going out and doing a good job, I'm going to try to reward that. If you've ever won an award of any, of any stature, it doesn't matter how significant or insignificant the award might be, it, it makes you proud, doesn't it? It makes you proud to know that you were number one in whatever it was. I remember when I was in fourth grade and I was the number one seller of wrapping paper in my class. The number one seller. I mean, I pounded the pavement and sold that overpriced wrapping paper. My family and church loved me because here I came. I was ready. I was ready to be the number one seller. I, I, I wore that award really proudly. But see, if awards are given to the people who do really well, but also to the ones that are the financial drain, if the same award would have been given to the girl that never took any of the wrapping paper home, the award would have been diminished in my mind. It wouldn't have meant as much. In fact, I would have greatly lost respect for those that were in charge. So see, we shouldn't expect God to give us all the same amount. We shouldn't expect God to lavish the same amount of blessings and resources upon us, but ultimately realize that what he has given us, he's given us because he wants us to invade, or his power to invade that space and to have the capabilities to do what he would desire to do through it. But this is what we tend to do. This is where we tend to live. See, we tend to live with a belief that what we have actually comes from ourselves, don't we? We tend to think, you know, I've worked hard, I've saved well, you know, fill in the blank. We tend to believe like we're the ones that actually did it. But the writer in James reminds us of this truth, James 1.17, that every good and perfect gift from is, is from above. Say every for me. Every. It means every. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. See, every good and perfect gift in our life, it comes from him. Who is the one that handed out the resources in Matthew 25? It was the master. It wasn't because there was these people working hard necessarily. It was the master who entrusted those good gifts. And you and I have been given much. And because we have been given much, much is going to be expected of us. And so we need to grapple with these questions Lord, what do you see in me? You've blessed me so richly. So what kind of power are you wanting to work in and through my life? What capabilities are you desiring for me to lean into? And are you going to do that? Many of us probably think if we're honest with ourselves that what we have came from ourselves <laughs> because we own our houses, we own our businesses, we own our jewelry, we own our 401k, we have our spouse, we have our children, we have our, you know, fill in the blank, our, our, our. But is the things in your life really yours? Do they really belong to you? They don't. Because see, every gift that we've been given comes from God. So instead of an owner, you and I are really managers. Instead of an owner of our resources, we're really a manager. We're the one that's seeking to use it and say, Lord, whatever it is that you would desire to do, please come and do it. Now, just this morning, to, to test your generosity, I, I want to see if this has really taken root in your life. I, I want to see if you're really getting this. So I wonder this morning if there would be somebody in the room that would be inclined to give me a $100 bill. Maybe you have a $100 bill in your wallet right now in your pocket, and you would say, you know what? I know this is not for me. 
So I'm going to give it to you, Pastor Jason, and I promise that I'm going to do, well, I promise that I'm going to do something great with it. Um, wow. So that, I'm going to try this illustration more often. I like this. Um, <laughs> thank you, Danny. I appreciate that. Um, I do promise to do something great with it. Um, my question, though, is how easy was it for you to give that back to me knowing that I gave you that $100 bill out in the hallway? <laughs> and that I told you about this illustration ahead of time. So thank you for being a good manager of my money. <laughs> See, we hold it tight when we think it's ours. We hold it tight when we think it's ours. And we tend to offer it a little more freely when we realize it's been given to us by someone else. And that I'm just a manager of it. And so if you're struggling in this area this morning, if you're struggling in the area of leveraging resources, it's highly possible that you think the resources belong to you. And the master who was going on the journey, he's the one that handed out the resources according to the capability that you have to say, God, come and invade this space. In verses 19 through 25, I'm going to kind of go through this quickly again, but the master comes back and he settles the accounts, and the two gentlemen, number one and two, they come and they say, Master, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold or two bags of gold, and look what we have done. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and so I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In verse 24, though, the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, I, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. When you trust God with what you have, what the scripture tells us is that when we're faithful with what we've been given, the Lord promises us more. When we're faithful with what we've been given, the Lord promises us more. If you have ever entered into a season of more in your life, I would venture to say at some point you walked through the gate of faithfulness. If you're in a season where you say, the Lord is entrusting me with more, the Lord is giving me more, the Lord is blessing me with more, whatever the case might be, there is a moment in your life undoubtedly when you said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to walk in obedience to whatever it is that the Lord has put in front of me. Because see, both servant number one and number two, they did something with what God entrusted them with. He gave them resources and they used them for him. And this parable is seeking to prove this point that what you've been given has been given to you by God. In fact, both of the servants, did you catch this? Both of the servants, the one with five who made it 10, the one with two who made it four, did you catch that? Both of the servants received this same accommodation from the master. Both of them heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of more things. And it says, come and share the master's happiness. I'm going to stop here because I think this is one of the coolest parts of this text. How cool is it that the master is pleased by their obedience? And he says, come and share in my joy. Come and share in my happiness. Come and find richness of joy in the fact that you handled these resources according to my standards. Jesus praised them and Jesus used them as an example for all those that were hearing. And in fact, uses them as an example for us today, a couple thousand years later. The one with 10 gets the same praise as the one with four. But the one who received one didn't get the same kind of praise. Could he have? Absolutely. Had he taken the one and 
entrusted it with God and got one more or whatever the case might be, undoubtedly he would have received the same praise, but he didn't. He didn't get that same accolade. He didn't get to share in the master's happiness. As a pastor, we, we sometimes struggle to talk about money and, and resources. Interestingly, because Jesus never struggled to talk about this. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus talked about almost more than anything. Certain commentators will say that the, the, the power of money in our lives is the number one thing that Jesus talked about. And depending on who you study, it, it may not be number one, but it is usually in the top two or three across the board. People from all denominations, theological backgrounds will say this is such a hot button issue in Scripture. Why? Why? I don't know about you, but if there's something I really need to get, how many times do I need to be told it? More than once. If you really want me to get something, I'm like a five-year-old. I mean, you got to tell me like 14, 15, 16, 24 times a day, once an hour, and I'm starting to get it maybe. And that's what the scripture here is reminding us of. This is such a, a war internally for us. To, to not believe that what we have has been entrusted to us by our own initiative, but by God. And so Jesus is trying to get to the heart of where so many of us struggle. I think we shy away from talking about it because we don't want to make people uncomfortable and we don't want you to think that the church is all about, you know, just please give us your resources. And, and, and I, I want you to know that that's never my intention. It's never my heart. I never stand in front of a group of people and seek to make you uncomfortable or to make you feel bad about yourself. That is a terrible public speaking pastoral agenda to stand in front of people and say, I want to make you feel bad about yourself. I never will do that. And the day that I ever start doing that is the day that I'll find a different career and a different trajectory and a different path because it's not what God is desiring for us to do. But what he is desiring for us to do is to see the truth and to see the truth that is here. And this desire to be a well-done, good, and faithful servant. I, I will tell you as your pastor that I'm so humbled by what I see in the life of this church. You all are some of the most generous people I've ever had an opportunity to work with. And because of your generosity, amazing things are happening. I mean, we are seeing marriages restored. We are seeing baptisms happen. We are seeing orphans cared for and sponsored. We're seeing healings of disease. We're seeing pastors along the Amazon River being encouraged and equipped to not quit and not give up. That happens because of your giving, because of your generosity. And by the way, that was just this week. That's just this week. And so I am humbled by your generosity. And I take that so seriously and it's on the forefront of my mind to be a good steward of what God has entrusted us with. But yet God's also shown us what it means to live in freedom and to live not so hindered by all the trappings of this world. God has made this so clear. And so I desire this freedom for you just like I desire it for myself. Now, some of the earliest memories that I have involved generosity in my family. I, I saw generosity modeled very beautifully. My parents taught us about tithing. They were very generous people. They are still very generous people. And they have experienced financial freedom in their life. And as a result of that, at a very early age, I said, I want that. I want to live that kind of way. And I asked my dad, how do you experience financial freedom? And he said, keep things in the right perspective. <laughs> keep things in the right perspective and you'll have financial freedom your entire life. What does that mean in the right perspective? It means God is first, everything else is second. You keep God first, you keep everything else second, and you will find great joy. And so I wanted to follow suit with that. In my life, I've had the privilege of being around a lot of generous people. 
I know a lot of generous people who are very wealthy, and I know a lot of wealthy people who are not generous. I know a lot of poor people by the world standards who are impeccably generous, and I know some poor people according to the world standards that are not that generous. It can kind of run the gamut, and I'm sure that many of you know the same types of people. What I have realized by my personal observations, this is not Harvard-based research for you. Nobody has asked me for my empirical data on this. I'm an audience of one working with a lot of people throughout my ministry career. And this is what I have seen. What I have seen is that no matter how much you have, five bags, two bags, one bag, what really seems to make the difference in the people who have the most joy are the ones who are the most generous. I've seen it. A lot of you are shaking your heads because you're like, amen, brother. We've seen it too. What I have seen in my life is that the amounts are really insignificant. It doesn't matter if you got five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold, or maybe you're like me and you got a, you know, 0.10 bag of gold. It doesn't really matter. The amount is completely insignificant. What matters is, am I going to be generous with what the Lord has given me? There is great joy when you live this way. From the earliest days of part-time jobs and finally a full-time job, I, I've been faithful to give. The first check that I would write would be a tithe to the church. I did this as a single person. My wife was doing this as a single person. We started doing this as a married couple. We've continued to do this as parents. And I would be the first to say that at times when you start looking at everything, you wonder how you're going to make it all work. How are you going to keep the things in the proper perspective. Because when you take on a mortgage or you have medical bills or home improvements or the cost of living, vacations, all of those things that we all love and that you should love, it, it can be so tempting to shortchange God, can't it? It can be so tempting to say, you know, I'm going to put God on the back burner. But when you do that, what you're doing is you're operating under a mindset that what you have is yours, opposed to what you have being God's. And over the years, we've been able to give above and beyond uh, tithe to support initiatives like For the Kingdom. And we've been sponsoring life skills educators and orphans through Justice and Mercy International and Compassion International. We've supported people going on mission trips to amazing organizations here in the Nashville area that are working and serving broken people. And, and I don't say that this morning to brag, but what I do say is that I've found, I have found that the more that we've been faithful, the more that we have received. And you'd say, How's that work, Pastor Jason? The only way I would know how to describe to you is the power of God. And when you invite God into a situation, I'm telling you, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills, and so he can do something. He can do something with your acts of obedience and with your resources and with your gifts. I actually believe, I actually believe that the lack of generosity in our lives is running so rampant that its tentacles are affecting every area of our life. I think it's affecting our marriages. I think it's affecting our parenting. I think it's affecting the way that we run our businesses. It's affecting our anxiety. And ultimately, it's affecting our ability to enjoy life. So this morning, this is not, do not walk out of here and say another sermon where they ask me for money. That is not what I'm doing today. This isn't a sermon with any ask connected to it, but rather a plea for you to live in freedom. And a plea for you to live in freedom because what I believe will happen in your life as you seek to be faithful in this area what I believe will happen as you seek to be faithful is your perspective will begin to change. Because what happens in life, and you guys know this, perspective follows faithfulness. Perspective follows faithfulness. When you are faithful to what the Lord has entrusted you with, you'll find that a perspective follows. Now look at the different perspectives here of these three servants. Servant number one, servant number two, 
They do what God has asked them to do with their resources. They, they, they multiply them for him. And in verses 20 and in verses 22, they both come and they say, look, you entrusted me with five. I gathered five more for you. Look, you entrusted me with two. I gathered two more for you. Not so much, servant number three. Servant number three, you are a hard man. I am afraid of you. What a different perspective in guy number three opposed to servant number one and servant number two. You've got guys number one and two over here. I'm excited to see you. God, thank you for what you blessed me with. Look what I did with what you blessed me with. You're a killjoy. You're hard-nosed. I'm afraid of you. See, faithfulness, the perspective came. A lack of obedience didn't lead to the right perspective, did it? See, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's entirely possible that servant number three was a little bit jealous of servant number one and servant number two? I'm using a little bit of my own creative liberty as I connect this up, but I think that there's actually something that the Lord is wanting us to see here. As we kind of look and say, what's going on in the mindset of these three characters? I look at this and I can't help but think that servant number three was a little bit jealous of number one and number two. Why would he have been jealous? Because see, a talent, a bag of gold, was equivalent to about $600,000 an hour worldly standards today. So guy number one, some of your math majors, guy number one had $3 million. Guy number two had $1.2 million. Servant number three, a measly $600,000. Hmm. I'd be faithful if I had $3 million. Hmm. God was so good to him, so poor to me. See, we, we tend to bind to this lie, don't we, that if we just had a little bit more, then we would be faithful. And what you could easily see here is that servant number three could probably allude to himself in his mind that I'd be faithful if I just had a little bit more to spare. And I can't help but think that maybe Jesus is trying to remind him here, you know, no, I doubt that you would. <laughs> I doubt you'd really be that faithful because if you're not going to be faithful in a little, you're probably not going to be faithful in a lot. It's kind of like if you don't have the time right now to have a quiet time, and, and I've been there where I've said that before. I just do not have time right now to spend with God in the morning, but I'm going to next year. Because usually next year is less busy than the one, right? I mean, is that usually how your all's life works? I, I've never had a year following the previous year that became less busy or less full or less, you know, fill in the blank. And so if there's not a commitment to do that now, it's probably going to be a struggle for us later. I had a buddy in Kentucky that I grew up with, and we were talking just the other day. And a friend, and I, and I hope and pray you have this. Do you guys have a friend that you can be really honest with, and they can be really honest back with you? And you can kind of cut the, I'll say a nice word. You can kind of cut through just the, 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 the stuff, and, uh, and, and you can just be honest with them. And I was talking to my buddy, good friend, one of my best friends in the world, and he and his family were contemplating buying a new house. And one of the reasons that they were going to buy a new house is they were totally upgrading. I mean, like almost twice the size of what they have. I said, hey, good for you, but why are you guys doing this? And he said, well, one of the reasons we want to do it is we're not sure about if it's the best financial move, but we really want to host a small group in our house. And so we need a bigger house to do that. And I said, okay, great. Um, and I thought, well, here's a good time to answer a question. I was like, I've been to y'all's house before. It's pretty good size. Um, why are you not hosting a small group right now? And he said, well, we're not doing it right now because we're embarrassed of our house. And if we have something a little bit nicer, then, you know, we'd be happy for people to be into it. And I said, Lord, give me the words to say, because what I want to say is not nice. <laughs> and I said, 
Um, man, is it possible that you're going to find a reason to not host a small group in your new house as well? And he said, silent. Thank you for saying that. And I said, hey, dude, I'm here all day. I'm here all day just to, <laughs> to speak truth. But how about, friends, instead of wishing that we had more, or how about instead of comparing ourselves to everyone else, we thank God for what we have. And we say, God, you have entrusted me with so much, and I want to use it for you. What's happening in our society right now is the comparison trap is eroding our lives. It's eroding our hope, and it's eroding our joy. And we're so often like servant number three, just looking over at servant number one and two, saying, if I could just be a little bit more like them, then life would be really full and really rich. No, life is really full and rich as servant number three if you handle what you have with the proper perspective. What's the problem with a comparison trap? Have you noticed when you get out of a comparison trap that it's a crazy, vicious cycle that you never get out of? Because why do you never get out of it? Because someone always has a nicer house than you do. <laughs> Let's just be real. Someone is always a little bit better at something than you are. Someone's business is a little bit more successful than yours. Somebody's car is a little bit nicer than yours. Somebody's ability to teach is a little bit better than yours. And so instead of looking side to side, how about we just look up and say, God, thank you for the lot that you have put me in right now. And I want to use it with as much faithfulness as I, as I possibly can. In fact, how about our desire, this be our desire, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I entrusted you with so much and you did something so rich with it. How about instead of the people who compare ourselves to everyone else, we would say, Lord, I, I thank you for what you gave me. You gave me uh, such lavish resources, and so I want to give a portion back to you. I want to help local organizations like The Bridge meet needs of the homeless here in our community. I, I want to pay for that single mom that lives next door to have her yard mowed because I know that she's struggling financially. Or how about we be people who we live below our means, we don't get so caught up in all the hullabaloo around us, and we buy our kids nice things, nothing wrong with nice things, but do they really have to have the nicest of the nice things? Sometimes a, a step down would be okay. We put some in savings. We do all those things, keep everything in the proper perspective. Fast forward to next year, this is what your life is going to look like. And this is not a promise from me, this is a promise from Jesus. This is not my words what Jesus promises us is when you live that kind of way, you're going to have more to work with. It's just God's standard. It's the way that God it, it, it kind of formulated this for us because you can be trusted to do what God desires you to do. Now, your perspective is going to be skewed when faithfulness is avoided or when a lack of obedience is in your life probably what's going to happen is that comparison trap is going to creep in. Your own personal gain is going to become your motivation. Impressing other people is going to become your reward. And then fear ultimately becomes a primary operating principle. When's the last time that you made a really good decision when fear was the jumping off point? Unless a bear is chasing you. Um, probably not that many. In fact, we will never leverage what we've been given when operating out of fear. This is one of those moments that's actually true about all the talent that you have, not just physical resources, but everything that you've been entrusted with, friends. You will never leverage that to its full extent when you're operating out of fear. It's certainly true of the skills and the talents that are present in all the people in this room. If fear is the filter that we're looking through, what we're probably going to do is stay put and do nothing. But when you've pushed through and you've calculated those risks and you've said, I'm all in, 
And I might be crazy, and I'm not sure, but I, I'm going to try my best to do and, and be, be sensitive to what the Lord is asking me to do. You realize that the risk is really not in what you're risking financially. The, the risk is actually how much am I going to trust? Am I going to trust myself more than I'm going to trust God? And then ultimately, you see here that this last servant, servant number three, he was really afraid. And how did Jesus respond to him? The words that Jesus used to describe him, they were pretty hardcore, weren't they? They're words that make us a little bit uncomfortable, even here in our modern century context to think about. He says, you're wicked and you're lazy, you're evil and you're slothful. You're not doing anything for me. And as a result of that, what I'm going to do with your one bag of gold is I'm going to take it and give it to another servant that will actually do something with it who actually has the capacity and the capability to invite God's power into it. So see, if we fail to use our God-given resources, what might happen in our life is we might lose them. Others might get them, and blessings are going to be missed. I don't want that to be my story, do you? I do not want my life story, my life motto. I don't want at the end of my life for somebody to say, you know what, he failed to do what God gave him. He failed to do anything with it. And so as a result, all of the things that he could have done, all of the power that he could have seen happen, all of the capacities that God had given him just kind of went by the wayside and someone else used those blessings. It's why the master said, take from the one and give to the one who's actually going to do something with it. This is hard for us to fathom, but if we're not faithful what the Lord is giving us, why would we expect him to give us more to work with tomorrow? got to be faithful to what he's giving us. I'll close by telling you a story from my two-year-old son, my sweet little boy. Um, he's on this kick where he's wanting to eat cashews and pecans all the time. So he's, I, every day he's asking for, for peanuts. I want peanuts. I want cashews. I want pecans. And so I'm a pushover, so I'm like, sure, you know, here's a quart of them, whatever. Um, but what I've seen him doing over the past week is he asked for pecans in the cutest little voice. I want pecans. I want cashews, and so I give him some. And he's really not wanting to eat them. I think he's wanting peanut butter. So he chews them up into a little, you know, ground-up form, and then he goes to various spots in the house and spits them out <laughs> on the floor. And so I found them in the carpet. Some of you are not on your head. Has this happened to you guys before? You, they, they're, they're in the carpet. The other day I was like, they're in the bathroom. They're, they're in the kitchen. And I, they're in his crib. And I was like, what's going on? And so then he comes back to me the next day. I've told him that time and time again. Buddy, you can't chew these nuts up and spit them out on the ground. You've got to eat them if you want them. He comes back to me the other day. I want cashews. I want pecans. I said, the audacity. <laughs> Excuse me? I said, how about this little guy? Stop chewing up the pecans and spitting them out on the floor, and then maybe I'll give you some more. And I laugh, but I think, if you and I aren't going to leverage what we've been given, if we're not going to leverage what God has entrusted us with, if we're not going to say, Lord, help me to be a blessing to the people that are around me based on what you have given me, if I'm going to hoard everything and make it all about me and my own personal gain, if I'm going to make decisions based out of fear, then I should never be surprised when God says, you know, I'm, I'm going to divert those resources to somebody that actually has the capacity to do something with it. Because what you're doing is, taking everything that I've given you and you're hoarding it, you're making it all about you and unfortunately sometimes you're just spitting it up and chewing it up and spitting it on the ground. So friends, I don't want us to miss it. Really do not want us to miss it because I think there's freedom here. I think there's freedom for each and every one of our lives and our families if we can just simply leverage what it is that the Lord has given us. So my question is, how are you going to leverage? How are you going to leverage what you have been blessed 
with. I hope and I pray that the Lord has given you some next steps and given you some insight into what it is that he's asking you to do. If you'll bow your heads for just a moment. Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. I'm so grateful for each and every person who's here. I'm thankful that you're meeting here with us today. You're the one who is guiding us. You're the one who is directing us. And we thank you for the power that we have in you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. I pray that we would be people who would trust you more than we trust ourselves and that we would take all of our resources and freely and openly and very passionately give them to you because we know that there's freedom and there's life and there's peace that's found in that. Thank you for the power that we have in you and I pray that we would be men and women who live, um, who live not for ourselves but ultimately for what it is that you would desire to do. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, amen.